part of the projection is if you're buying a company so that Ty can retire or spend less time in the business, you need to quantify how much of that business stays if Ty goes. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me today, I'm excited to have Elliot Holland. Elliot, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Todd? I am doing excellent, man. Elliot's the founder of Guardian Due Diligence and their business buying expert. He has a Harvard MBA, spent 10 years buying companies for himself and others, and now prevents his clients from losing millions buying bad businesses. He is the guy to hire to guard your money. So Elliot, man, tell our listeners a little bit more about your background. What kind of businesses are you are you buying? And uh, then we'll just get into some meat and potatoes right away. Absolutely. So first off, uh, some of the best coaches in the NBA uh, were former players. And so I kind of have a similar background in that I started my career, um, I reformed engineer. Um, I did some strategy consulting, which is essentially helping businesses improve profit. I then went off to Harvard, got my MBA, um, took a job at a Wall Street private equity firm doing sort of deals, two to $8 million in EBITDA or cash flow, buying companies, improving them and selling them for others was sort of that piece of my life. I spun out of there and started two different independent private equity firms where me and my business partner bought companies that were sort of two to $5 million in EBITDA. And then I spun out from there when he retired to start um, my own firm, Spartan Capital, where I bought companies that were a half million to call it $3 million in EBITDA. And so given that experience, plus my guardian experience, it all adds up to 10 plus years of specific experience in what I call lower middle market deals, deals under solid $50 million in enterprise value, with a lot of them being deals that are under $6 million in enterprise value, such that people can use SBA loans to acquire these businesses, everyday folks kind of have access to the market. So that's my background. And then on the business advisory side, four years ago, I decided to start Guardian Due Diligence. And Todd, essentially, it's the business that I wish I had when I was buying companies from my own uh, accord, because I felt like there was a huge hole in the market for qualified, focused, deal-knowledgeable diligence resources to help people execute deals. No shortage of lawyers. I'm sure you have plenty. No shortage of accountants. I'm sure you have plenty. But the complexity of a business acquisition requires focus, attention, detail, and those folks don't necessarily have it for transactions all the time, or they're so costly when they do. For everyday people who are trying to get started, it's it's cost uh, prohibitive. So that's in a nutshell, kind of my genesis and sort of what we do at Guardian is help people through the process of buying a company, particularly helping them vet companies so that they don't um, they don't lose their million dollars buying something that's not true to form or not being honest about how it's represented. Yeah, so so you've got you you carved out a niche at filling a gap that was missing for you, which is which is uh, really valuable. Anybody listening, I mean, if you can fill that fill a gap. You know, we all have struggles in our business. We all, you know, like have issues with finding some people to fill those gaps. And so 
man, that, that provides a perfect opportunity. You saw the door open there. You decided to start this, this company. Uh, and now you're helping people with some of the struggles that you had was that through that due diligence process, through really understanding, making sure the business was the business that you really truly wanted to buy. My guess is there's some companies out there that, and, and this is a guess, I don't know, but there's probably some companies out there that do exactly what you do, but a lot of them are doing it for very large acquisitions, right? For, for the mil, multi, multi-million dollar, billion dollar uh, acquisitions. Am I right with that or? You are. So typically the, the alternative would be to go to a top CPA firm. There's a list of top mm. 50 CPA firms, top 100 CPA firms, and they do, um, they do a quality of earnings just like I do. Um, the issue becomes when you're dealing with a company that works for Goldman Sachs, that works for Home Depot, that works for these billion dollar entities, or even a $500 million private equity firm, and Todd, you show up and you want to buy a $5 million HVAC business 30 minutes from your house, they'll take your business, but you're not moving the needle for them. Their best people aren't on that work. Um, they're not dedicated to helping you close transactions. They're dedicated on making accounting opinions about the business. And so what I saw was the, 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 the misalignment between what a business buyer wants to know is, is this business worth what I'm paying for it? That's it. And you're in real estate, so it's the same thing there. What accountants sometimes focus too much on is, is this business 100% uh, formally representing their financials like a public company should according to GAAP standards? And when you miss that this buyer just wants to know, is it worth what they're paying? You end up paying for a lot of stuff that's not helpful and actually is degrading to the deal. So we are 100% focused on kind of small business acquirers. And so our process is streamlined for that. And so is our pricing. And so there are people that do similar work, but I would, I would say that they're not entrepreneurs, they're not deal guys. And so their process isn't focused for this use case. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I can see that. Um, especially when, you know, especially here's the thing. I, I, I'm in real estate, right. And we've got we deal with property management companies. We deal with a lot of companies and it's the same thing. Look, if they're, if you're just a small little account to them and you mean nothing to, to them, you're not going to get the service that you really need. So you got to make sure you're aligning yourself with a company who actually is, is in a similar industry or niche, I should say niche as you. So these companies, they don't care about you. They're, they're focused on certain things and that's that's it so that, that's really cool um so tell us like what's what's a you mentioned an hvac company what's your typical like you know three million five million dollar type business and so so my audience loves value add we love to be able to take something and that's that's operating, but maybe not at its highest efficiency. And we love to bring it to its highest efficiency. Like is, so what kind of business can you buy? First question in that three to $5 million range. And is there that opportunity for a value add um, in those types of companies? Sure. So I'm going to speak to this audience um, focused on real estate um, because I think it's most relevant. So um People who buy 
properties are, are going through a very similar process to buying a company. I would say the difference in buying a company is my understanding of diligence in a real estate sense is it's in the order of weeks. Whereas diligence on a, a buying a company is three to five months. And so mm. both the time that you have to dedicate to it, but also the complexity are kind of commiserate with the time. And so just to anchor it in that. Now, when you're talking about buying something that you can move it to its optimal efficiency, I would encourage people to think about HVAC companies, think about roofing companies, think about landscaping companies that may be doing um, work outside of buildings that you own. Think about distribution businesses that are servicing some of the products that you're buying through your real estate investment. Think about property management companies. Those are companies that you pay that, that clip to every single month. If you bought up a bunch of those, you'd be vertically integrated. And then to answer your question, what I think investors can most easily do is buy something in an industry they already understand. Because you, if you're a procurer of these services, you have a very intimate knowledge of what you would like. And so it's easier. How do you add value? Well, you guys know a lot of these companies don't do marketing well, don't do sales process well, um, are very blue collar sometimes to the expense of being able to service higher end clients. And so sort of guzzying up the operation to be able to go after higher value clients. A lot of them don't have great IT systems. And so if you can bring IT systems to bear, a lot of them aren't able to recruit top talent. You know, some of this old school blue collar stuff, you know, it's the guy from around the corner. It's the guy they went to high school with. If you're able to recruit better talent because you're an investor and you're high flying and people want to be involved with that. If you bring all those things to bear, you can buy a company for $3 million and double or triple it in a couple of years, just by bringing sort of what's like, what's regular business uh, process in most other industries. But in some of these blue collar industrial industries, they're just not up to speed. And it's not just putting lipstick on a pig, the whole digital marketplace for marketing and sales has fundamentally changed these industries, but a lot of the industries I just mentioned are woefully behind in those areas. So an easy way to do a value added purchase. Yeah. I mean, I can think of like, you know, the, the typical general contractor, typical uh, HVAC company, man, a lot of those are, they're so far behind. Yeah. They got the owner that's, 60 years old or, or whatever they are. And they're doing business the old school way. I used to work remodeling construction. I put, I, that's how I pulled myself through college working remodeling construction. And the guy that I wor worked for it, it passed away, but he just, there's no way, like if he was still living today, there's, there's no way he would, he would be onto the technology uh, game. It's just, he, it, it, that didn't jive with him. He wanted the old school way and the old school way was you, it's all referrals and shake of the hand and, and that type of thing. So I can see that as, as major opportunity. Is there like a, you know, you're looking for one of these businesses, you go, I want to vertically integrate or, you know, I'm maybe, maybe just like this excites me. Is there like, where do you find these deals that actually have value at? Cause I imagine, a lot of stuff maybe brought by brokers don't have as much value at, or at least getting bid up, or maybe I'm wrong there, but where do you find some of these deals? So what I love about the, the similarity between buying companies and real estate is that 
I think you sort of already understand it to an extent, right? Um, part of your differentiation is your ability to actually a get look at a lot of deals because mm. I think sort of your acquisition strategy will be way better if you're looking at a lot of stuff versus a little with the yeah. same unit effort. The other thing is getting good at piercing through BS quicker. So a lot of people dislike broker deals. Um, but a lot of people on the real estate side are buying from real estate agents or, yeah. or, or brokers or wholesaling, and there's still a value add there. And so I push and say, hey, just because there's a, a broker in it or just because there's two or three people looking at it doesn't make it an automatically bad deal. When I was on the buy side, what I would do is I would just look at, um, say, 100 deals, a lot of them from brokers. 50 of them, I could see in the package if the numbers were so far off, I wouldn't even spend time on them. So now I have 50. Out of the 50, I might spend two or three minutes looking at each sort of prospectus or piece of information. Another 30 would get filtered out. And so now out of 100, I'm actually only looking at 20. And then I'm looking at a list of sort of very specific questions to ask on the front end to filter out what I want. And I think as you go from, hey, I'm looking for my first deal to, hey, I've created a deal flow engine or I'm looking at 10 deals or 20. If you go through that same process, you can vet out opportunities that are good for you. Here's the other thing, Todd. And this is what I love about business. Let's say I'm competing against you on a deal in your hometown. And the deals in uh, general contracting, something you've done. There's no way on God's green earth I can add more value to that business than you can. There's no way on God's green earth I'm going to convince that seller to sell to me at a lower price than he would sell to you because you've already done it. He's going to feel comfortable that you're going to keep his employees there. If he has the same last name as the town or the street, he's comfortable with that business is going to be there. So let's just say we go head to head. You're going to kick my butt. And so part of business is realizing that you can compete. And then not only will you kick my butt on being able to buy the asset, Todd, but you would know more about how to grow it than I would. So is it sometimes difficult? Yeah. Worth the effort? Yes. And there's plenty of sort of brokerages you can look up online, sites that list deals, you know, biz buy sell, bizilla, bizquest. Um, you can find the deals. And I think it's up to the the buyer to get a process together that 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 narrows down the aperture from sort of a bunch of noise to a signal you want to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good point. I mean, that, you're right. That's the same as, as buying multifamily properties. Um, you know, the, and, and I like how you'd say, you know, you're looking, you got to look at like this, this hundred deals basically to get one. And it's the same thing. If you're not looking at deals, you're not, you're not going to be successful. So it sounds very similar. Um, so we we got a deal right that we're we got a business we're gonna buy what are what are some like key really key things on how we vet how we look at that business to make sure we're actually getting a good deal versus just getting a deal absolutely or potentially so, a bad deal actually not you know of course there's a lot of those out there <laughs> um, or ones that are totally mispriced yeah so I'll start from the beginning. So like when I first started 10 years ago, cause I think a lot of your audience, they may be on their first acquisition or um, attempting their first in the business realm. Um, the accuracy of business 
offering memorandums, whatever prospectus that you get to evaluate the deal. I bet you the volatility in real estate is probably 10 or 20%. In business acquisitions, it could be 50, mm. 60% off. So first off, you have to recognize that the first piece of information that you get is probably directionally true, but not 100% accurate. So I think a lot of people spend too much time on the initial confidential information memorandum is what they're often called, but sometimes you get a two-page summary and a set of taxes, depending on who you're dealing with on the, uh, on the seller side of things. Um, the other thing to look for is profitability, sort of far in excess of what's reasonable. So most industrial businesses, they add some value, but not um, extraordinary life-changing value. So your HVAC companies are probably going to have a profit margin somewhere between five and 20%. If you see one that's operating at 40 or 50%, you should be very cautious about, are they actually accounting for all their expenses mm -hmm. or do they have expenses that they're not being honest about? Um, because if you saw a company operating at 40% margins in the HVAC space, um, A, you should jump on it, but B, you should ask, why is the seller selling? The third thing I think to look at, and I think if you look at these three things, you'll be in very good stead, is the financials that you'll get will come from a controller that probably isn't the most sophisticated financial person you've ever met. And so you also have to check other pieces of data to validate that the financials coming out of their QuickBooks or whatever are accurate. One of the main things that we look at here at Guardian Due Diligence is reconciling the bank statements um, and creating financial statements from the bank statements alone, um, because we know that you can manipulate QuickBooks, but Todd, I don't think you can walk into Chase Bank, give them a hundred bucks and have them tell me that it's 200 bucks. So the bank doesn't tell stories. And so that's one of my favorite sources of truth. And if you, if you know what you're doing, you can sort of recreate the financials from the bank statements. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So, so get those bank statements because yeah, and you're not going to bribe a bank to to change their statements. Uh, most most well, very few banks probably, if, if any, would even consider doing something like that. <laughs> so, right. Uh, so yeah, reconcile bank statements. What do you do if they say, "Well, we collect a lot of cash"? Um. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think you have to be smart enough to be a reasonable buyer in that capacity. Mm -hmm. So are there businesses, particularly in probably real estate oriented things that collect cash? Sure. Yep. Does cash end up going somewhere? Yes. You know, I don't see guys rolling around with big knots of money um, in 2021, the same way I probably saw in 2010 or 2000. Right. So the comes in cash, but it typically is going to go into a bank. And so even if they collect cash, it's probably going to go into a bank. The other thing is that they may collect cash, but there should be an invoice for that work or um, some accounting of what jobs were done. And so when you start peeling back the onion, like we have a very long list of due diligence questions that we ask. And really what we're trying to do is triangulate different times when the same number is gonna be manifested in different things. And so your revenue is essentially all of your invoices. So if you if you take if you take cash in, that's fine. Just send me a list of your invoices for the past year. And typically that's going to be even if it's a stack of paper, it'll be somewhere. Um, also, 
if a person's trying to sell a business, they should be willing to show you their hand. So maybe what you do is you say, okay, well, let's take this 30 day period when I'm starting due diligence and you show me what cash you take in. If this is a representative month, then we'll be able to see the delta in between what's within your financial statements and what you took in. Mm. If you're not willing to show me that, then of course you take in cash. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And you said the, the due diligence period anyways, a, a pretty good period of time. So you're going to have time to be able to see what's going on. Are they really taking in cash or are they, are they not? Oh, oh, that year I took in a lot of cash. I don't anymore. Okay. Well, great. <laughs> you know, uh, That's the other thing you're buying the future, you know, just like real estate. Yeah. So the fact that you took in a lot of cash in 2020, because you were you know, more people were at home and wanted the grass cut more, right? That's great, but I'm not buying 2020's profit. I'm buying 2021 through 2026. And so yeah. I'm more worried about what you do this month than last year. And keeping that in mind too um, helps. A lot of businesses I see had a huge year last year or are inside of a huge year and want to sell off of that because the, the valuation mechanism in business acquisition is a bit different, Todd. So typically people are paying three to five times profit or EBITDA for a business. And so when you have a huge year, people want to try to sell in that year because they're going to get a multiple on a higher number. And as a buyer, you have to be smart enough to recognize that might've been a one-time contract with some school that got built in their area. That's not going to happen again. And, and you don't want to buy off of that year's profit because it's not representative of the future. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so what do you, what do, you do? Are you looking a lot at trend lines or what, how do you kind of think about, okay, what's going to happen in the future versus what's happened in the past? Because that's all we have to look at, right? Financially, we only have to look at 20, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20. We can kind of see the trend line but how do we, is there, is there specific things you look at to say, okay, we see where it's probably going? Yeah, absolutely. So in business acquisition, being steady beats growth for most investors. So I would rather kind of 5% growth every year because now I can sort of anticipate based on historically it being sort of a steady clip that it's likely to be a steady clip next year. When I get 10% growth, 2% decline, 4% growth, 5% decline, but I got an up year, I'm up 15%. All of a sudden, I have to make conservative estimates about what I think the future will be. Yeah, It's harder to value that second business. And so what you do is, and this is where experience comes into play. You know, after doing this for 10 years, you know, over a hundred companies built projection models for, you know, if you give me a set of financials in five minutes, I can sort of give you a sense on here's probably the, the most growth that you'll see. Here's probably the worst case that you'll see, you know, 80% of the times it'll be in this range. Um, if you can finance the business at the low end of the range and not go bankrupt, you should consider the deal. And some of it is just knowing how to do that. The other thing is when you buy a business, it's a little different than real estate in that the property manager in a real estate transaction like services the asset, but doesn't fundamentally determine the value of the asset. In business acquisition, if I buy Elliot's business or I buy Todd's business, 
Todd is the franchise unless Todd's put in infrastructure that can operate the business without Todd. Mm -hmm. And so part of the projection is if you're buying a company so that Todd can retire or spend less time in the business, you need to quantify how much of that business stays if Todd goes. And how do you mitigate that? Because sometimes I've done deals where I'm only paying half of the purchase price up front because I need Todd to help me deliver the profit that he did last year, again this year, to get paid out a full price for the business. Yeah, no, that makes a, that makes a lot of sense. My my uh, my wife's company that she worked for was acquired, and I, I saw that as I don't know exactly the financial, you know, what they did there, but when they acquired the company, they had some of the owners come in and and uh, stay with the company for a period of time. They had some, a lot of the sales reps transfer over. Uh, and I think that was likely part of the acquisition uh, requirement. And, and that's how you do it. I mean, part of it, Todd, is the price. I'm paying a million bucks for the deal. But you and I are in business. A lot of it is the risk. So I talk a lot about two main things when it comes to buying businesses. And I love talking about it. If you can see me on video, I'm smiling like a crazy person. So the first thing is because you're paying a multiple of profit or EBITDA, it creates an environment where for every dollar of profit that a seller convinces you is in the business that actually isn't in the business, he doesn't get paid out dollar for dollar. He gets paid three to five times that story, right? So if I convince you $100,000 of profit that was created in the business that really wasn't, you don't pay me as a seller 100,000, you pay me 300,000 to 500,000. So what's small initially because you're paying a multiple becomes big. And that creates a situation where a person probably has the highest motivation they've ever had to tell a story. And that's why diligence is so important because people are getting three to five times their, their lie, their story. Hey, real quick, I just want to let you know about the multifamily challenge that we got going on. It's a five-day multifamily challenge on how to get an offer in uh, quickly, right? So we're going to teach you in five days, five one-hour sessions. We're going to go through the steps and the process to get there. So go to mfichallenge.com, mfichallenge.com. You can sign up. It's free if you want the VIP. There's a bunch of things that we'll give away too. You, gotta, you, gotta, you do have to pay for that, but hey, it's going to be well worth it. Again, you can get in for free. We're going to teach you how to get that offer across the table, get the LOI in, uh, all the steps. So Ellis Hammond and I, Ellis was episode 316. Check, check out his episode. And we're going to be doing this next week. So sign up now at mfichallenge.com, mfichallenge.com, and get in there. We're, uh, we're doing it next week, and it's going to be awesome. So hope to see you there. The yeah. second thing I'll say you oftentimes I see people buy a business, say it's a business that's heavily related to the seller, right? But say they have some infrastructure in it so you feel comfortable, but you're sort of thinking, hey, I'm gonna need the seller to consult with me for a year after the purchase. And so SBA will allow you to go up to $5 million in debt. So say you buy a $5 million business. So you give a guy 5 million bucks and then you say, hey, I'm gonna give you a consulting arrangement for $125,000 a year. You don't really have to come in. I just need to talk to you maybe 10 hours a month. And that'll just give me the comfort to, to, to know that I can get to you if the business um, has any issues. Well, 
is a guy who you pay five million bucks showing up for one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars if stuff gets tough. Yeah. So the number one client quits you, and and you don't know what the heck to do. You call that guy. He's in Barbados, or or or, or the Ozarks hanging out. That hundred twenty-five dollars doesn't protect you, and so it's important to whatever risk you perceive in the future of the business that you share that risk with the seller. And that means structuring your deals in a way where, you know, on a $5 million deal, essentially the seller's holding a $5 million asset. So $5 million of risk. And you take that $5 million of risk from him and take it on. If you pay him hundred percent cash at close, you want to try to share that risk. So pay him some portion of the 5 million, but not all of it. And then pay the rest over time. And that's how you share risk in a way where if I owe you half of the purchase price for a business, Todd, and you're in Barbados, and I say, hey, the half of the purchase price is in risk if I don't get you on the phone, you might have an umbrella in your in your, in your, in your drink, but you, you're going to pick up my phone call. Yep. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. It, yeah. It, if you don't have much finance, you've already got your money. Like you don't, you don't, you don't need that extra little bit of money that, that this pain in the butt phone call is going to take and there's going to be a million more, but if you only got half your money or, or, or you're missing a good chunk of it, you're probably motivated. You want to make sure that business works, you care about it. And, uh, and as much as the seller maybe told you they care about the business and they want to see it succeed, if they're no longer financially tied, it's, it's, it's been, you know, three months and, uh, they might, they might not care as much as what they told you at <laughs> your initial yeah. meeting. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, are there right now, you know, we, we, it's a really weird time, obviously for real estate, I'm sure for businesses, it's a really weird time because, you know, COVID we're about a year into this thing and certain industries have really done extremely well and other industries have done extremely poorly. Mm-hmm. is there specific like opportunities that you're seeing come up that um, are better than others or cer- certain industries that you really like, um, you know, certain, I guess, what are the opportunities out there for people to come in by businesses right now? Or maybe you're like, look, this industry, maybe you can't buy it for an amazing deal, but this industry is poised for some amazing growth and, you, you need to look at that. So I think there's two answers to that. I think some people and most people are going to feel comfortable buying a business that's already doing well, because it's way easier to keep doing well than to go from not doing well to going well. Mm. So I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but I want to go to the second type of deal and then start with the first and come back. The second one is um, like a rehab real estate property. Yeah. What if you get it for half of what it was trading for last year because of a special situation, like it didn't do well, you're confident in the five-year trajectory, 30-year trajectory of the business, but it took a bad year, the seller's tired, Um, it's out of favor currently, but it's something that is going to return. Like people are going to go back into hotels, you know, people are going to go back to restaurants. So it's kind of like, do you pay less for something than it's worth? and ride that up. That's the second. The first is, do you buy a good deal? Now, in a COVID-affected time, what you're looking for is how well did they do in 2020? It's a very easy view of sort of in this COVID-related world, 
how comfortable you're going to be for the next 12 months that this business is strong. Like some companies did way better. You know, if you're in Texas and it's HVAC, you know, those air conditioning services had to still uh, fix AC, right? Like you're not living without that there. Well, especially because you're, you're home even more and you're like, man, this AC just isn't working like we want it to. Let's, let's get a brand new one. Exactly. Those guys are eating. Um, landscaping folks are eating. Um, people who are moving trash are eating. Um, a lot of service businesses that are delivering things to homes or um, mm -hmm. delivering people stuff in their homes are, are eating. And so if you look at their numbers in 2020 and they're still strong, it's a great indicator that they're a solid business in this sort of COVID related world. So look at 2020, see how well they did relative to 2019. And then if you're looking for something that's um, potentially trading at a lower cost because it was impacted because of COVID, just make sure you understand the industry well enough to understand the, the thesis on why you think it'll go up. And then also make sure that you have enough cash if the downturn lasts six to 12 months longer than you think. Yeah. Or, or, or even more than that. <laughs> right. right. Um, Cause you, you just don't know, but yeah, I agree. Like the cat, the cash is, cash is huge. A lot of people downplay how much cash they need for something. Um, I've, I've been guilty of it. Most people that are better in business are, are, have been guilty of it. Having ample cash reserves is, is massively important. Um, all right. So I got a, I got like a couple more questions maybe, and then, and then we'll wrap up. Sure. Are there, any mistakes that you either you have made, like maybe maybe one or two mistakes that you've made or that you kind of see others make and, and how have you learned from how can others avoid those same mistakes? Sure. One is trusting information doesn't come directly from the system that produced it. I think that was probably one of my first uh, Mike Tyson gut punches or uppercuts rather is that um, most businesses in this size range are going to be using QuickBooks. You know, some are going to be using a software called Peachtree from Sage, but 90% of what I see is QuickBooks. But sometimes when you get the financials from a broker or even from a seller, they're in Excel, they look pretty, yeah. they have ad backs everything looks great. You know, they may have even had their accountant do it. So it has some accounting logo at the top that has some brand value. And you think that person looked over the numbers, but they don't say that explicitly, nor do they have any recourse. So now for, for me, and I've made this mistake, and this is why I'm so quick to go there. If I don't see it directly out of QuickBooks, directly from the bank, directly from your HVAC operating system, where you have your invoices, if there's been a step where somebody can add their sort of fluff to it, I don't trust it. And I may get it from a seller and not say something about it because I'm still building a relationship. But until I get the data directly from the source, I don't, I don't believe it because I've been burned on that before. I think the other thing, and I still struggle with this because I understand both sides, but I've been burned so I won't do it cheaply again. People are like, oh, Elliot, but you know, those are for those big private equity deals, man. Um, I'm only doing a $2 million deal. You know, I only need to look back a year. Um, you know, it's not that big of a, I don't want to spend a bunch of money because it's not, you know, a $100 million deal. You know, what's a, what's a skinny down version of due diligence? And I'll tell you again and again, 
when you're thinking about putting up a million dollars, if you think $2,500 or $5,000 worth of analysis is going to protect your million dollar investment, you kind of deserve the outcome you get. It's, it's one of those things where there's not a lot of steps you can knock out on a million dollar deal that you wouldn't have to do on a hundred million dollar deal. Right. In fact, sometimes there's more complexity in the million dollar deal because it's more dependent on the seller um, because there's peculiarities in smaller businesses. And also because true diligence is triangulating data sets. So looking at financials, taxes, bank statements, operating system stuff, visiting the, the facility, looking at the inventory. And when you take one of those things off, and again, you're off by just $100,000 on a million dollar deal. But because that $100,000 creates $500,000 of purchase price that you shouldn't have paid, you know, I've seen a lot of people um, be really happy that they were saving money en route to a deal closing and then losing their ass um, because they just didn't check the things they should have seen. Yeah, so valuable right there. And one of the one of the things that you know I I used to do is I th- I didn't like I, I thought handshake deals. You know, I'm a trustworthy guy, so everybody else must be as well. And so I'm not going to spend money on an attorney, right? And so I used to not spend a lot of money on attorneys until I got burned big time on attorneys. Now. The same, same, same type of thing. Like, look, don't be cheap when where you shouldn't be cheap. Like, right. spend it. Sure, is the attorney going to cost me twenty five hundred bucks or five thousand dollars or whatever it's going to be? Absolutely. But is that avoiding a potential, you know, five or six figure or seven figure issue that could come up? You know, that that's what you got to look at. And like you said, if you're buying a seven figure business. Why be cheap? Spend the time, spend the effort, do the due diligence, actually do it right. Make sure you're getting what you're paying for. And that's the thing that I would say. So often I get people who are like, oh, well, can you do it for this? And I just kind of tell them like, I won't. Because when you pay somebody who's in business to do a shoddy job, you're going to get shoddy work. They're not incented to look under rocks and push things over and be be um, detail oriented and check for things that are nuanced. You're not paying them for that. You know, you pay a high schooler to do your diligence on a house, you're gonna get high school level work and yep. they'll take your money, yep. um, but you actually didn't even get what you paid for to your point. When you get into a place where you're actually operating at true efficiency, you want to pay your advisors who are protecting your blind spots appropriately for the risk you're taking through their analysis. You're taking a seven figure risk. Don't be three figure dumb on protecting yourself. You wouldn't, (laughs) you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, go to war or go into a place where they're shooting bullets with the cheapest uh, bulletproof vest you could find on Amazon on discount, right? (laughs) Go to, go to Walmart and get the bulletproof vest that's (laughs) in the toy section, right? (laughs) Right. It says for display only, but it's cheap. So let me, let me me run through a live, you know, a live field here and and, and see what's going on. But I I see people do it all the time. Yeah. And you probably see it in real estate, you know, you have to, be smart about the risk that you're taking. Um, and, and particularly when you're learning the craft, 
Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. I'll also say this, Todd, my business is set up to be cost reasonable. And it's set up that way because one of the things that frustrated me the most, and you probably ran into it, hey, how much is it going to cost to do this uh, accounting analysis, Mr. CPA? Well, I charge, you know, one, 250 an hour. My lieutenant guy charges 125. Oh, it's somewhere between 10 to 30 hours. So it'll be, you know, 1500 to 5000 bucks. Are you an accountant that couldn't give me a number? That's crazy. So we offer fixed fee quality of earnings. Ours are $15,000 um, for the complete quality of earnings that can check sort of all of the financials on any seven figure deal. We have a light version that's $12,000 that'll get you sort of in the game without um, being over expensive. And um, we do it that way. We could charge a lot more, but we've been, I've been in the seat of the person purchasing the protection and I wanted a direct answer on the costs. I wanted somebody who knew they could deliver it at a certain price. And I wanted somebody who was going to be straight with me because of what they're actually doing for me. If you're protecting me from risk, I want you to understand that risk service provider. If you understand it, you should be able to predict what it costs to analyze it. And so I think people should consider that too. Yeah. A hundred percent. I agree. I, I, I don't, I, it drives me nuts when you get that, uh, it's going to, it's going to range from 10 to 30 hours type of thing. It's like, come on. <laughs> Tell me how to cut to the chase. <laughs> exactly. How much is it actually going to cost me? Um, cool. So let's let's wrap up here. I got a couple questions. What what's a favorite book that you can recommend to our listeners? Oh, by far, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Oh, Fundamentally changed book. the way I see business. Um, both business and personally, it's changed completely how I communicate. Um, Please, please. I, I don't even allow people to work with me too long without buying in the book. Yeah, it's a it's a great book. It's a classic. It's one of the best. Um, all right. So last question. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? Oh, great. Great question. Um, ownership has to be the first. If you want to build wealth, if we're talking wealth, ownership is is the pillar. Um I think um, growth is the second pillar. If you want to build wealth, one of the pieces is ownership of something that's a small size and then growing it to a big size mm -hmm. and either yeah. being able to pull the cash off of it or exit it at a multiple of that cash flow. And that's how people get really, really wealthy. I would have said something different 10 years ago, Todd, but I, I think you'll appreciate this. The third pillar is trust. When people trust you and you're a person of your word and you won't take every dollar and you'll give advice that you should have charged people for that saves them hours of time when you won't go back on your word, I think it enables those other two things to multiply. You know, people yeah. don't always have time to check each and everything that you're doing for them. When you build trust with them, it, it makes more business more seamless without friction. Mm -hmm. And that's how things start going at a speed when you can build some wealth. I love it, man. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Elliot, look, really appreciate you joining us. Tons of great information. I, I, I really love talking. We talk a lot real estate here, but we also love bringing on guests like you that, that bring us a different alternative, you know, strategy as well. And, and this can be really valuable, especially if we are in the real estate business, we could buy businesses that really align with our business. I've been looking uh, over the last year or so for 
businesses that I can vertically integrate into uh, really, really align with my business overall and, and the strategies. So I think um, just being open to different opportunities out there is, is, is really valuable. So I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing a lot of good value. And, and quite frankly, even if you're just like, Hey, I'm only, I'm only in real estate, man, the, some of the stuff that you gave with the due diligence and just uh, being aware, uh, checking all the data, you know, reconciling these bank statements, all that kind of stuff. It just, it just, it, it's exactly aligned. So a lot of great information. Appreciate you being a guest on the show. How could I like to offer one thing? To, yeah, oh, perfect. I was going to the same thing. Um, yeah. I actually make it easy for um, you guys to, to find me. And, and even if you're sort of kicking tires on looking at business acquisition, because I think a lot of, I've gotten probably 20% of the folks that come visit my website, have a real estate background. First off, the website is guardiandudiligence.com. Um, yep. And that's D-U-E um, diligence. And then we offer a weekly office hours from 12 to 1 Eastern time every Friday. In fact, I'm doing it this afternoon. What that allows people to do is to submit a question about diligence that they want answered or just sit in and hear a discussion around deal strategy, business acquisition, et cetera. And it's an easy way to tag in and kind of see live discussion around live deals to get you comfortable and kind of see if it's something you want to participate more in. And you can just find my email on the site, ask to join the office hours and I'll get you set up. Oh, that's really cool. I, 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 that's pretty unique. I like that a lot. Um, get people into the game comfortable. And man, if, if you're surrounded by people that are taking action, if you're surrounded by uh, people that are in the business, you're, you're going to, you're going to get there a lot quicker. So. I love it, man. I think that's right. And I, I love what I do, folks. So uh, if you want to talk to me about deals, um, it won't be hard to catch me. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Well, I, I, again, really appreciate you joining the show and you have a fantastic rest of the day. Have a great day, Ty. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.